I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. We are so excited to welcome a very powerful and inspiring woman onto our show. She's a former professional snowboarder, She's an entrepreneur. She's a world traveler. She's a fabulous yoga teacher. She's a natural leader. And now she helps other yoga teachers and leaders build their businesses. She has so much to say about speaking your truth. She did so in a very popular TEDx talk. She has a lot to say about resilience and how to protect yourself from burnout. This is must listen podcasting. Welcome to the show, Katie Brower. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. You and I have met before. Um, I was living in San Diego and I was a newly minted Anusara yoga teacher. And I visited a beautiful, sweet yoga studio in Del Mar, still one of my favorite places to practice. And that was a yoga studio that you owned. And you taught a lovely class. And then after class, I had shared with you that, you know, I was a new teacher and you offered me the opportunity to perhaps sub at that studio. And I was so excited. You know, I think we remember first becoming a teacher and we're nervous about the whole thing. But I never did reach out or come back because I did struggle with fear and uh, and I was really um, struggling with self-doubt in those days. It took me a long time to step into feeling worthy enough to teach these practices. It wasn't really until I learned to teach through my own lens and you know share how yoga really helped me with anxiety. So that's just what I wanted to share off the top here is you never heard from me again because I was I was too scared. Wow. I'm so sad because I know. um Gosh, I, I feel like that's just, it's, it's such a, it's so valuable that your willingness and your courageousness to share that because, um, in sharing, like the first thing that comes to mind and heart for me is like, Oh wait, what, that was a missed opportunity for me to show up for you and to meet you where you were in the fear and the self doubt and really support you in that. And, um, I think that for all of us, when we shut down, it not only costs us, but it uh, takes away the opportunity for others to meet us where we're at. I'm glad we're here now. Oh, believe me, I am making up for lost time now. Um, and in those days, you, you probably wouldn't have been able to tell. I did a pretty good job of wearing a cloak of confidence, but it's been my journey over the past decade to cultivate that real authentic courage. And it comes from being able to, you know, speak some of these, these truths that I would have been ashamed of. I would have been ashamed to be too afraid to step up, but that was just the truth of it. So thanks for holding space for me and hearing it through your lens. Um, Amy and I are both very inspired by you. Yours 
is a story of such resilience, challenges, and rising. And now you're really inspiring others with what you've learned along the way. So we want to catch our listeners up with your story, starting with your childhood. What was it about the environment at home that spawned such a competitive spirit in you and your siblings? You know, as we mentioned in the beginning, you were a professional snowboarder, sister, a World Cup skier, brother, an Olympian. Um, what was that like at home? Um, it's really what's interesting is uh, neither our mom or dad was like pushy with sports at all. I think all three of us just inherited um, a very driven, like naturally driven nature and very active um, and were exposed to lots of different sports right from the get go. It was very much a lifestyle. My parents were very supportive of whatever endeavor we wanted to follow. Um, they really followed our lead, but both my mom and my dad um, are incredible. My dad's passed now, but both incredible sports people and um, very athletic. So we all sort of inherited those athletic genes along with the drive. So Katie, you're open in your bio about being expelled from three high schools. And we talk a lot about teenage wounds and how they can follow us around as adults. Can you tell us what you were looking for at that time? Yeah, sure. I, um, you know, I would say that this is sort of where the, the sports piece came in was that became a, a, a really healthy vice for me to channel a lot of um, confusion from my childhood. My parents got divorced when I was six and there was a lot uh, behind the scenes that my mom sort of, I guess, became aware of um, with my dad's behavior and whatnot. And none of that was actually shared with us kids. My mom didn't share like the truth of really what happened until I was in my early 20s. And I was like, whoa what um and um and so there was really a, a huge lack of conversation that happened uh in the family about what was going on and you know there was all these changes happening and we as kids really weren't included in any of the decision making or anything and that was really confusing because as a child, which is the same thing that we do as adults, when we're trying to um, understand there's meaning making and stories and all of these things that are happening in the gaps to try to understand. And, and as a kid, sort of the story that I made up and the meaning that I gave my parents' divorce was, oh, well, maybe it was me. Maybe I'm not good enough. And that's really where my sort of performance-based perfectionism um, came from and a lot of the undercurrent of the drive, like I naturally and inherently have a lot of drive, but then it was sort of kicked into high level with these wounds and the way in which that played out in a really unhealthy way was, um, you know, I got into all sorts of mischief and I've always been a leader, so that means that I got my friends into all kinds of mischief. Like I was the kid that the parents were like, oh, no, they're friends with Katie Brower, you know. Um, inf influential uh, on the shadow side as well when I was a younger, younger kid. And I was just honestly, I was searching for um, attention. I was, I was really desperately 
wanting to feel acknowledged and seen by both of my parents and they were kind of dealing with their own thing and the way in which they communicated and expressed love was just in a way that didn't um that I wasn't able to receive like it wasn't my language and so that played out in you know I got into drugs and I just was a, a complete troublemaker I mean I would you know during exam week put in a phone call to the fire station about planting a bomb so that the whole school shut down. Like, I mean, like not just little stuff. It was like big, big, terrible things that I, that I did as a kid. Very extreme. All we ever really want is love, right? And if we look down to the root of our actions, especially when we look at our, our teenager and our inner teenager, we can see that, you know, we're all just calling out for something, Mm -hmm. but something that that stood out when you were sharing that story is that you weren't told the truth when you were growing up. And I don't want to jump into the TED Talk yet because I want to stick with the timeline. But when I watched your TEDx talk, I expected your your talk to be about resilience and and your snowboarding career and how you've like literally and figuratively like gotten back up after falling down so many times, yet it was about this radical truth telling. Um, Do you think that you're so interested in the truth because you felt it was concealed from you then? Yeah, it's funny you say that because TEDx wanted me to talk about all of the things that you um, you just said. (laughs) They were like, no, 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 we don't want you to talk about this. Um, But um, yeah, I do. I do. Because when, um, when sort of everything was revealed to me, there was this deep validation and I've found this to be true in many aspects um, and times throughout my life when whether it's been with a friend that shares something that is heavy on their heart that has been bothering them, um, that I've felt something's off and so I have clued into and I've sort of gone tap, 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 like what's up? What's going on? Something doesn't feel right. And then they've had that courageousness to step into the truth in the same way that my mom did Um and it just the feeling of being in truth is something that I, I just won't ever compromise because it's that's where freedom is for me is just in being totally aligned with what's true for me um, and really being a truth teller and being honest with myself as well. Um, and that was something all the way up until my dad's death at the very, very end, his entire life, he, um, he avoided taking ownership for what really happened. And there was blame and, uh, a lack of responsibility. And then at the very end, he indicated, um, that he realized he'd really messed up and that that was one of his biggest regrets. Um, and that I think was a validation for my mom um, in the same way that when she shared the truth with me, it was a validation for me of, oh, that makes sense. Now I need to um, reorganize all of the things that I have thought and all of those in the spaciousness where there was gaps in the story that I had just made up the story because I didn't know the truth. It's so interesting, the stories that we tell ourselves about the way things were. And then when we find out the truth, it could be something entirely different. 
what I realized when mom told me the truth about everything and there was that visceral, like felt sense and, um, and resonance of like, Oh, I'm feeling a settling in my system. Okay. Because we can feel the truth when it's shared. Then on the tail end of that was like, well, holy crap. That means that basically everything dad has told me, which I've believed is a lie. Now I need to, um, to integrate that and, and have compassion for my dad was an alcoholic and a gambler. So having compassion for him in, in his limitations, our dynamic was very much reversed. Like I was the parent in the relationship from a very, very, very young age, um, in my very early teens. Um, and he put a lot of pressure on me of like, you have to help me. You have to save me. It's up to you. And I really took that on as my job and my, my role. And in my early twenties, I had a conversation with my dad. Um, when he, he called me in the middle of the night, I was at this stage living in America and he was drunk and, you know, whatever, he'd like gambled a ton of money away and he was in all this strife and he was doing the same thing. And I just said, dad, you know, I love you. And I had a conversation with him the next day when he was sober of like, I love you and that's never going to change, but you are not my responsibility. You know, my dad and I always had a really, um, beautiful relationship. Like I don't ever remember having arguments with my dad or, um, but it was much healthier after, after that conversation when I was 22 from the age of whatever, zero to 22. Um, what I thought was real wasn't real. And that the impact of that has definitely affected in my adult years in relationship, particularly in intimate relationship of the thing that feels familiar is my dad who was not able to be in the truth, not able to take responsibility. And so that has kind of gotten me in strife, even as someone that's like very conscious and you know, I consider myself to be like quite aware as like now I've gotten more wise to it in the last few years of like, oh, if it feels familiar, it's a big red flag. So it sounds like maybe your mom was saving the truth for a more an age appropriate time. Yeah. And I really, you know, I respect her for, I wasn't angry at her for withholding that. I, I, I really respect the fact that I think where she was coming from was she didn't want to influence the way in which we viewed our father um, and, and really wanted to leave it up to us to uh, make our own judgment. Um, but it definitely would have changed a lot of things for me along the way. Um, throughout those teenage years and, um, you know, that's where I just sort of rest into the unfolding of life. It's messy and, uh, we're all just learning, um, along the way. I, I think this speaks to something else that we all have in common because you took Ashley's yoga psyche soul yes. too, right? Correct. Yes. And then, and through that, and obviously through, um, different learnings in personal development and Western psychology, we do learn that how we are formed in our childhood homes is how we are in relationships. And so much of that is not our fault. You know, we can't be aware of so much of that. We we did what we did in order to be safe. And if we're growing up in a situation that we thought was one way and it's really not, of course, it's going to color our relationships. 
And the hard part is that our relationships are now our opportunities for for healing. Mm-hmm. We all know that. And so I'm so glad that you threaded that into this conversation. And I'm also thinking that, so you mentioned that in your childhood home, you really were a leader there too, you know, having more responsibility, taking responsibility for people. And then meanwhile, you are competitive in the snowboarding world. So I'm just trying to think about all the pressure that you must have felt that you were under in those years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it wasn't until I was in my sort of mid-teenage years and I, I remember specifically one night I was at a friend's house and her parents were asking me questions. And um, the response to their questions about kind of our life and where we grew up and all this type of thing, the look on their face alarmed me to the fact that, oh, maybe that's not normal because when my parents divorced, when I was six, we moved with my mom um, a couple of hours out of Sydney and my mom owned restaurants. And so our kind of flow was mom would pick us up from school, drop us at home, dinner would be ready um, for us to eat whenever we wanted. Uh, we didn't have a babysitter. So it was my, my sister who was eight. I was six. My brother was two. Um, and mom went to work. And we, you know, did our homework and ate our food and packed the dishwasher and got ourselves ready for bed and went to bed. And that was just normal. Um, And I, you know, at a very young age, we were all very independent, obviously, as a result of that. And, um, you know, now being a mom with a four-year-old, I'm I'm just like, what? (laughs) I don't (laughs) know how. But my life makes so much sense to me now. Um, But that was really where I realized, oh, okay, this is, you know, it's very much shaped me to be like fiercely independent and uh, very um, capable of doing really anything and everything. Um, And the double-edged sword of that is is very difficult for me to ask for help. um, And because that's the way that I've always done it, I don't really know another way of doing it uh, because I haven't experienced that. Like particularly in an intimate relationship, like being taken care of. I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? I'm the one that takes care. Like I'm the one that um, shows up in all of the ways and financially shows up and takes care of everything and my partner. So um, that's, that's unexplored territory for me moving into my future. Katie, did your siblings experience your childhood the same way that you did? No, no. They don't, which is really interesting because um, there was sort of there was two very pivotal moments during um, my childhood that were very, um, I, I mean, for lack of a better word, I would say traumatic. If my mom happens to listen to this podcast, like I don't blame you for anything. I love you. Um, the two things were when mom and dad divorced and there was really no discussion about anything that was happening. And then the second point was when I was 12, uh, my mom had an opportunity uh, with a restaurant that was quite a ways from where we lived, like 
four or five hours from where we lived. And she decided that she was going to do this venture. And again, there was no discussion. It was just, we came home from school one day and there was this woman standing in the dining room. And my mom said, you know, I'm going to go and do this trial for six months and see if it works out. And if it does, then you guys will all move down. And if it doesn't, I'll be back. And that was it. It was, this is who's going to be looking after you. And there was just, there was no conversation. So those were really the two kind of big things. And I can see very, very clearly, it was actually um, in my mid twenties, I was in India on one of the trips that I did. And I studied with this incredible woman over there, her name's Usha. And uh, she explained, you know, I had been exposed to and studied the chakras uh, many times before, but the way that she explained the developmental phases and the way I was able to then map it back against these moments in my life, again, I was just like, oh, this makes so much sense um, of Mm -hmm. why I began to behave in the way that I did a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, because that was a very, you know, there was a lot of hurt and a lot of, I was really angry at my mother um, and there was no uh, felt sense of inclusion, of um, being a part of the decision-making process or a communication about why things were happening the way that they were. It was just that was sort of the, if you look back throughout the family history, which still continues now, although I would say that I'm the big disruptor, is there's just is, there's very little conversation that happens. The Radiant Warrior podcast will be right back. This episode is brought to you by A Radiant Year, our monthly program that sends you a class that we create for you every week, offering therapeutic yoga and Ayurveda skills to support you in practicing real self-care. We design these classes to help you integrate simple and powerful tools into your life to help you move worry and overwhelm and cultivate more contentment and vitality. Enrollment opens next on December 6th for you to join us for a radiant winter. It's your chance to gather tools to feel more vibrant and at peace during the shorter days and cooler weather. We'll begin on winter solstice. Learn and grow with us seasonally or yearly head to aradiantyear.com to get on the wait list. Well, it's no surprise why you are so fiercely independent. And you've mentioned one of your journeys to India, but what is also so impressive about you is you have traveled the world and you've gone on so many incredible adventures and you've had so many incredible experiences. But let's, let's go back to when you were still snowboarding, you had a massive amount of injuries that you sustained and you kept literally falling down, getting back up and continuing. What made you finally decide to retire? And then what was that like? And where did that lead you? What was your first adventure after that? Mm. So a couple. Yeah. So one, one thing to note that I think is, has been really helpful for me throughout my entire life on the injury piece and the kind of falling down, getting back up was with all of my injuries and really anything challenging that I've gone through, I always really look at, okay, I am going to do everything in my power to minimize the possibility of this happening again so that 
if it does happen again, I'm not going to blame myself and sit in thinking, well, I wonder if I didn't do enough. So that goes for relationships that are challenging. Um, that was the same in my marriage. I was like, I am going to do every single thing that I could possibly do that's in my control so that when I look back, if it gets to the point that it doesn't work out and my marriage didn't work out um, and I chose to file for divorce, looking back on that, there's nothing more that I could have done. Like I've turned over every stone. And I think that that's um, been very freeing for me. Um, One of the last injuries that I had was a dislocated elbow. um, And it was, oh man, it was, it was absolutely, it was excruciating. I mean, it was the worst one of all of the injuries that I had, um, particularly when the doctor was trying to relocate it. After that, I was back on snow and I was at, at a contest and the weather was really, really bad. The light was really low. It was super windy. It was very icy. Um, and I was in a slope style contest and it was the first time that I really was experiencing fear in the way that I, I was not able to reorient my attention to, you know, the training that I'd done and the confidence that I have in my body. And it was just like the fear just gripped me. And that was the moment that I realized, okay, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not having fun. Um, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I, you know, and, and I think the answer to that question of why I was doing it and why I kept getting up and, you know, getting myself back on the tour and rehabbing was the drive underneath when I got really honest with myself was again, this performance-based perfectionism in the hopes that I would experience and receive the love that I so desperately desired in the way that I wanted to receive it from my parents. And Mm -hmm. after all of those years of pushing and pushing and pushing and really achieving um, some pretty spectacular things, I sort of just got real with myself and I said, well, why would that happen now? Because it hasn't happened up until this point after all of the things that you have achieved. So Like, do you want to do it anymore? And the answer was no. So Katie, it sounds like you went on a journey of the soul following that decision. Can you tell us when does yoga come to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So I was introduced to yoga when I was 19 um, and really encouraged by my dry land coach um, to do it as a part of my off snow training. Um, He, I'm like, I would say a recovering type A person. Um, and he was like, you know, you're uptight and your body's tight. And I think this yoga stuff could help. Uh, and so that was when I got into it. And I would say the, the perfectionism piece in the very beginning, of course, it was for me all about like mastering all of the poses and like doing all of the crazy arm balances. And, um, I, it, it really was just a one dimensional practice. It was purely physical and it was purely, um, from that standpoint, it wasn't until I was 22 that it, you know, and I would say that things gradually began to shift during that time of 19 to 22, um, really 20 to 22, but it was at 22 when I had one of the more challenging, uh, injuries that I had that was not just physically 
um, debilitating, but also emotionally and energetically debilitating that I really sort of went down the rabbit hole with yoga in search of finding out what was going on and why my body wasn't healing. And that was kind of when the, I would say the ball of wool really began to unravel was through that curiosity and the discoveries that I made during that time that were just really quite fascinating. That that really led to uh, insights and healing that I experienced, like profound experiences that I had um, and really pretty mystical, like spiritual experiences that would beyond logic and beyond my ability to even articulate what was happening. And I felt very foreign in the group of friends that I was spending time with because everybody just thought I, I was super weird. Uh, and then as I kind of began to share a little bit more openly with other people that were in the yoga space and other people were not only receptive to what I was sharing, but also sharing experiences that they had had, I was like, oh, again, that resonance shows up and um, a settling in my nervous system. And I was like, okay, I think this is, I'm feeling much more at home in this environment and in this practice than in the, the other. So that transition really yeah. began to happen. We liken it to when well, we were sleeping and then because of whatever aspect of the practice really resonated with us, it's like it is like an awakening. It's like completely changing the prescriptive prescription of your glasses and and I also know that language can cheapen some of the experiences. So only share what you're comfortable with. But you have mentioned that in one of your pilgrimages to India that you had a profound experience. Is is that really um, a memorable, one of the deep spiritual memorable experiences of your life? Um, oh, my gosh. I, I have had so many. And um, there, there was two really that stand out. One of them was at the very end of traveling. I'd been traveling for about eight months. I ended up uh, going to this area basically where they provide food and shelter and you're sleeping in these caves. And it's essentially a retreat center, but it's self-led. Um, and I happened to be the only person there at the time. And I was there for several weeks and I didn't take anything with me other than my clothes. So I didn't have any distractions. The guy that owned the retreat center would come by in the evening and he would just kind of yell into my cave like, Hari Om. And I would say, Om, you know, to make sure that I hadn't fallen into the river or anything. Um, and just the, the, I think the, being on my own and being solo, um, having the time and the space to actually slow down. And really what I had been craving was this integration of all of my experiences traveling. There was one particular moment where I was sitting on these rocks, just kind of looking out at the landscape and I just got filled with tears. And I mean, really was just overflowing because what I was experiencing for the first time ever in my life was feeling like I was a part of something. And it was like, I just, I felt the universe. I'm even like, holy crap. I'm like totally tearing up right now as I recall it of just feeling the universe moving through me and that 
the thing that I had been so driven for so many years that I was seeking and craving, trying to feel like I was a part of something, it kind of all just dissolved and I like got it. And that forever changed my life. Another moment was when I had uh, traveled back over to India to study with a teacher that I had studied with before and I got deathly ill. And I was in hospital for three weeks uh, with dengue fever and typhoid. And those listening that aren't familiar with dengue fever is you can die from it. It is, can be fatal. I, I mean, I really thought I was going to die. Like the dengue fever is what they call breakbone fever. So essentially what happens is the muscles in your bones um, spasm and the muscles in your body spasm and start strangling your bones. Um, and it's 11 days long as with pain, unless you get on top of pain early on, it doesn't matter how much morphine you're given, you can't get on top of the pain. And so it was really, um, very excruciating. And I would say that that was for sure a spiritual awakening in the sense that being able to move through that experience and stay engaged in the experience without disassociating really gave me the gift of, wow, I don't need to seek outside of myself. Like no one else has the answers, not this teacher, not anyone. Like I have the answers and it's all in me. Wow. I knew from your bio that you had all these major injuries. I had no idea that you experienced that also. Yeah, that on top of it and then add on to that a double mastectomy and an orphorectomy that sent me into menopause at 39. I'm like, oh my God. And and thank you so much for being so open about that. I I I witnessed your decisions and your journey through your sharing on social media and I so appreciated that truth. And this practice that you're talking about and the insights that it offered you. How has your practice, your spiritual practice, your yoga, your meditation supported you in in the challenges that you faced over the last few years, in, including that decision to be a, a pre-viver? Um, well, I would say that there's definitely been a felt sense of everything in my life up until, um, you know, a couple of years ago prepared me for what was to come, which was going through the eye of the needle of really navigating the most difficult couple of years of my life where I, I mean, talk about being knocked down um, because simultaneously I was also navigating a um, very challenging divorce and sort of coming to grips with, well, wait, the, the, the dream that I had is shattered. And um, in contrast, the surgeries and the, the pre-viver experience was, actually not as bad in comparison, uh, which is kind of crazy, but yoga, you know, just being able to simply come back to the breath and being really present with moment to moment, how am I feeling and what do I need? That's, that's really where the practice, um, became so sustaining for me throughout, throughout that period and really simple coming back to the breath being able to attune to my body and articulate to myself and 
and others in my inner circle, like this is how I'm feeling and being able to express that. And, and this is what I need. Amy, based on what Katie just said, she actually leads us right into some of her recent Instagram sharings that I know you are also very interested in. Amy has been really open here and in our relationship that her journey of healing is from intense burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amy, I don't want to speak for you, but I, but Katie, you and I'll and I'll let you speak to that more. But Katie recently has been sharing that this life of go, go, do, do, strive, and it it has had an effect and you have had to turn even some bigger practices in on yourself in order to create less stress and slow down a little bit. But Amy, I'll let you speak a little bit more to that. Yeah. Yeah. My journey has been recovering from burnout and grief. Definitely. Can you share with us some of the practices that you use being such a high achiever to avoid burnout or when you find that you're in burnout, how you recognize it and what you do? Um, Such a good question. Something I'm very passionate about. Um, The first thing was I made a vow and a commitment to myself that I just wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, and I really got underneath what was driving that behavior of go, go, go. Um, and, and what that entailed was essentially me getting in touch with a part of myself that I literally had never been able to access. And that was the six-year-old, the seven-year-old little girl that made up a story when my parents divorced that, well, maybe if I'm the best on the athletic team and maybe if I'm the best in the world as a snowboarder and maybe if I'm, and that was really what was driving all of that behavior. So I gave myself the opportunity to sit in that and sit really in the grief of what I experienced as a child And that was the beginning of the shift that has taken place that has been so unbelievably liberating. And I mean, when I mean sitting in it, like I sobbed for, I I would notice my tendency, which was to move away from the discomfort of that feeling and of that grief by, oh, I should just check my email. You know what? I'm just going to go jump on the elliptical. Oh, you know what? I really need to call so-and-so. And I just kept saying to myself, no, you're just going to sit on the cushion. You're just going to sit here and you're not going to move. And can you just tip your toe into the feeling? And I sat for quite a while and then the tears be- came and then the tears just kept on coming. I mean, for weeks, I was tending to the part of myself um, and really, ultimately, I was began reparenting myself um, in the way that I needed that my parents weren't able to do um, as a kid. And that really set in motion this um, incredibly powerful uh, shift in the relationship that I have with myself, which is, and I've shared this on social of like the practice that I've done now for over a year and a quarter or a year and a half is, you know, every day asking myself, how am I feeling? Okay. Let me sit with that feeling and feel it fully. What do I need? What am I going to do to support my own needs? And I do that 
day to day to day and oftentimes multiple times throughout the day and really honor what what it is that comes up with that. And the push has totally, completely dissipated. And um, as a result, I would say that I have uh, just a, such a more expanded sense of peace and genuine happiness. Uh, and it's been really, like, really unbelievable. I, I couldn't have imagined that by doing that practice and the willingness to get in touch with that seven-year-old, which I'd been trying to do my whole life. You know, I'd done a ton of therapy and I could just never get there. It was like when we would do inner child work or whatever, everything would just go numb and I would feel nothing. And it wasn't from lack of a desire, but, it, you know, one of the beauties of my divorce was that it opened a portal for me to get in touch with that part of myself. Um, and that, that's really been, I would say, one of the biggest gifts that I've been given. I found that to be very surprising about burnout when I was working so much and always chasing something. I felt like I was running towards something when in all reality I was running away from something and to find out that underneath burnout is almost always grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, for, for me, because there's, there's times throughout the, the year and each quarter when there's stuff that's got to get done, you know what I mean? Um, but for me on, on the day to day, I really shifted and I actually just did a video on this for one of the participants in my incubator. She was asking, but it, it's acknowledging um, first and foremost that the thing that was driving the behavior was, um, you know, wanting acknowledgement, wanting outside acknowledgement that I am enough. Um, and the, the second thing is I would set myself up to fail from the get-go because I would set these ridiculous to-do lists and action items and goals on a timeline that was literally impossible so that I would constantly feel myself as not enough. And mm-hmm. um, I really shifted to, okay, I'm making a commitment to be on a stress-free diet. And what does that mean? That means that um, anytime that I feel my adrenaline kick on and cortisol in my body, I'm going to stop because nothing is more important than my health. And if I keep going as, I mean, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So there's a part of me that's addicted to the go, go, go. Um, but that's just not sustainable. And I'll probably give myself a heart attack at 50. Um, so it was, as soon as I noticed the adrenaline kick on, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to either cancel the meeting or push out the deadline or I'm going to create space so that I can come back to myself and I can come back to what's important in the moment um, and just stop. And I, there's a million and one excuses that would come up to not do that and I would just keep coming back to it. And it took me about four months of doing that moment to moment throughout the day um, and really being committed to the practice to actually notice a shift and a change in the way in which I was going about my day-to-day and showing up. Now I start each day and I give myself just one thing. What's the one thing that I'm going to do today that will, um, 
you know, result in me feeling accomplished at the end of the day. And one thing is enough. That's powerful. I'm writing that down. <laughs> what's, what's coming up for me as I'm listening to this conversation is how we're so much more alike as human beings and as women than we are separate. And you're, you're sharing so much about your life that was for acceptance, was for that seeking for unconditional love. And for you, it showed up with performance and perfectionism. And for Amy, that showed up in working herself to the ground. And for me, it showed up in obsessively worrying so much about what others thought that it drove me into like life-altering panic attacks until I had this disorder that made my life so small that I couldn't even drive my car. But what's the one thing we have all in common is that we all just wanted to be truly seen and we were all looking for that from the external and that's what we all do. That is a major source of our core suffering. And by the sharing of our stories as people and as women, as we once would do in circles and as we do more often in circles, it's so powerful. We learn from one another and we see ourselves in one another. And so I just, I, I'm feeling really touched and moved in this moment that you're sharing with us so honestly. And this is medicine, mm. you know, be, being open in this way. Mm. Wow. Well, I, um, I so appreciate that. And it's such an honor. And, um, you know, in the, the craving to be seen, one of the things that I did this year um, that I think for me, it was incredibly powerful. Um, and it sounds so simple. And on this notion of being seen was I did this like 24 hour intensive with a therapist and part of what she requested slash required for me to do was go in to the the bathroom and she was like, I want you to see yourself. I want you to really see yourself because you're not seeing yourself the way that other people see yourself. This is why I'm like so hard on myself, you know? And I was like, okay, well, like how hard could that, how hard could that be? <laughs> and so I go in and then like, I walk out, I like look at myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, you look really old. And then like I leave and then a couple of hours, like an hour later or something, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this again. And I like go back in and I'm like, again, the judgy critical Katie is like talking and I, I'm just like, ah, oh, this is stupid. Like I'm not, this is dumb. And then finally I go in and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I just sat and I just breathed and I just looked and I not prompted by her, but just by myself, I went back to my earliest uh, memory that I ever had um, and I saw myself as that little girl. And then I just kind of went through the timeline of my life of all the things that I've experienced, um, that, you know, the highs and the lows. And I mean, talk about, I was probably in there for about three hours. Um, and I was just sobbing and watching myself sob. And really, you know, at the end, it was just like, holy can I swear in here? Holy yeah. shit, woman, you have been through some shit. Oh my goodness. You know, and, and it was really 
really, really moving. And there was a lot of like forgiveness towards myself that came up and um, forgiveness for how self-critical I had been um, throughout my whole life of myself and my always performance-based criticism. What was interesting after that experience was the critic totally neutralized. Like it wasn't until about three weeks later, I was sitting on my couch having a conversation with a girlfriend of mine and I was like, I really just haven't noticed the critic. As I thought more about it, it was like when, for instance, say I'm putting on clothes to go out and the critic before would be like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't wear that. You look terrible in those jeans. Like you really need to work out. Da, 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 da. The thought would be like, eh, I don't feel great in these jeans. Like I don't feel sexy. I'm going to try something else on. And I would try something else on and it would be like, yeah, this feels good. Like if that was the conversation had completely changed and that negativity and self-deprecation had just vanished. Um, and that has been, this was like maybe six months ago, so it wasn't even that long ago. Uh, but wow, what a liberating experience. And again, the key was the, the willingness to sit in the discomfort of um, all of the feelings that arose when I was really seeing myself. So a part of me really wants to do that. And a part of me is really resistant to do that. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, the resistance was real. Well, and we can only take others as far as we've gone. So we appreciate and I know that your clients and students appreciate where you're willing to take yourself. You've taken yourself into public radical truth telling. I want to circle people back to that TEDx talk. Definitely search Katie Brower um, and watch that. I was so inspired. I have a big truth that I've been wanting to tell, and it's uh, it's inspiring me to do that in, in one of my relationships. And then speaking of the work that you do and how you do hold space for others, um, share with us what you have going on, how you support others, and how people can find you if they want to work with sure, you. Sure, they can. People can find me on my website, which is just katiebrower.com. Um, I work with a lot of yoga teachers and have um, a yoga program, online program, the Yoga Professional Incubator that uh, supports teachers in really giving them everything that they need to create a sustainable business, as well as training certification programs and all of that good stuff that I do live. Um, and for the sort of general quote unquote public, um, particularly women I work with in an online program called Flourish, which is really this introduction of mindfulness and a radical self-acceptance and really giving the tools for skillful living um, and, and the, the pieces that have really shifted and changed and contributed to uh, my life, the, those are the things that I share with others in that program. And then I usually always will have like in-person retreats happening once or twice a year and um, you can catch me in a yoga class. If you're ever in Solana Beach, California, I teach a couple times a week. Well, you know what? I'm going to be there next awesome. week. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be in San Diego for the rest of the month. So I am going to look you up and, um, and come in and, and see you. And because I've, I've accepted my inner teenager, I will be able to just meet you feet on the floor with uh, authentic vulnerability and courage rather than any sort of fear of not measuring up. Amazing. I can't wait. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. 
If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.